This evening we will be looking at the first section of Proverbs chapter 3, the first 12 verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you would now give attention to the reading of the very Word of God. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Proverbs chapter 3. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves Him whom He loves as a father the son in whom He delights. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would use this word to remind us of all that You have done, of exactly who You are, and of Your work in our lives. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. As we have gone through the first two chapters, we have seen wisdom make her appeal to God's people. To explain to us the importance of wisdom, the necessity of wisdom. The value of wisdom, especially as it protects us from things outside and from ourselves and our own sinful desires. This evening, as we turn to chapter 3, Proverbs begins now to make more explicit the connection that was already there, and that as we seek and pursue wisdom, the only way to do this is to seek and pursue the Lord. For He is the source of all wisdom. He is the Lord of wisdom. And so this evening, in these first 12 verses... We have some direction, some commands, some exhortations that come to us in how we should live our lives and live our lives especially in light of the presence of the Lord. The first thing that we see as this chapter opens up is the desire of a father. 
And this is important because this is not merely schoolhouse learning. This is not merely recitation. What comes in this chapter is the longing desire of a father for his son, that his son would prosper, that his son would be a man of character, that his son would follow the Lord and be blessed in all his ways. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. This is, in our modern day parlance, it might be when a father pulls aside his child, especially a son, and says, okay, listen, pay attention. This is important here. You've probably had this happen to you in your life. Maybe you've even given this talk. It's the kind of talk where it's, all right, now we need to be serious here. We're talking about the important things of life. Not specifics, but big overarching principles that apply in every area of your life. These are the sorts of things you need to know when I'm gone. When you are in charge of your own family. These are the sorts of things that will carry you through tough times. Pay attention. The Father says, you should not forget my teaching, but you should treasure it up in your heart. There is a remembrance that must go on, which reminds us that this is far more than an intellectual exercise. There are so many things in our lives that we have to remember, don't we? Passwords. Codes. Theorems and proofs in school. Things that we have to have done. Grocery lists. Even where stations are on the television channels. You know, it was much easier when I was young. It was only about ten. Now we have to remember hundreds. Some of us three. There are so many things we have to remember. And we come up with all these little devices and ways that we can remember them, don't we? But that's not what's going on here. It's more than just simply, okay, get the facts down and be able to regurgitate them back to me. This is, after all, part of the problem with modern education, isn't it? It seems like every day in school is simply preparation for the test. You need to make sure that you remember what's going to be on the test. What the Father here is saying in Proverbs is that life is more than passing a test. Life is more than simply pleasing your parents. Life is more than simply doing what you are supposed to. Life is about character. It's about what's inside us. It's about what the Lord is doing in our lives so that we might glorify Him. And you see, if we treasure these things up in our hearts, if they take root in our lives, then there are blessings that come from them. Now, we have to remember, as in all the time that we see these Bible promises, that these are not mechanical. This is not like some big, elaborate machine where you put the marble in one end and it goes up and down through chutes and ladders and wheels and gears and sends something out that's nice on the back end. It's not, if I do this, then God will give me a treat. Because we know if we do that, we're prone to only want the treat. And to miss the principle that's involved. 
But this is a generalization that says, if we follow after the Lord and we make biblical principles and godly way a part of our lives, there are blessings that follow. If you keep these commandments in your heart, Length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now this is a full picture of what it means to be joyous. There is long life, prolonged life. But it is more than just that. When Proverbs says that years of life will be added to us, it's really saying life that is worth living. Life that is a source of joy, and we can be a source of joy to others. And this peace that Proverbs talks about is a wholesomeness. It is a wealth, a wealth in relationships to others. It means that our lives will be marked by joy in the Lord and strong relationships with others. This shouldn't surprise us because if we pay attention, what will happen is God's teachings will take root in our character. This is not some kind of ethic of just simple reward. Verse 3 makes this clear. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. You see, immediately our text moves to the internal to the character of who we are. It begins to speak of the great character of those who follow the Lord. Love and faithfulness. Now, as we think about this, that immediately puts us off a bare reward system for after all, what is love? I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. A good, working, short definition of love is self-sacrifice. Putting others ahead of yourself. Ask any mom who gets up at 2 a.m. Ask any dad who works a second shift to bring home some extra money. Ask any husband or wife who sacrifices their own desires and wants for their spouse. We see it most clearly, don't we, in the pages of Scripture. For what is the ultimate expression of love but that the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving His heavenly abode, leaving the eternal fellowship He had with the Father to take on flesh, to become sin, to receive the wrath of God, to be cut off from God merely for the benefit of His people. Love is self-sacrifice. And faithfulness is also something that shows us our lives are not simply to be about reward. Faithfulness is about integrity, isn't it? How many people do you know today who are marked by their integrity? Perhaps you, like me, have experienced times in which you speak to someone and you hear something from them and they they tell you about a situation or or tell you something and then you talk to another person and they say, no, they told me something completely different. And you realize that it was manipulation. It was a show. It was something that was put on in front of you to make them look good. 
But you see, that's not the one who is wise. That's not the one who follows after the Lord. There is a faithfulness and integrity that marks our lives. And when that happens, people see it. And people remember it. And when times are difficult, when challenges come, when the storm rages, followers of the Lord who are known for their integrity are those who are sought out. May the Lord give you opportunities in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, to show the integrity you have and to minister to others in their time of need. This wisdom takes root in our character and it takes possession of our lives. Proverbs 3 gives us two pictures of it. Love and faithfulness are to be bound around our neck and to be written on the tablet of our heart. And I think this shows the two aspects of our lives. They are to be bound around our neck. They are to be lived out. Love and faithfulness is not just about who we are and our character. It is something that we live out in front of others. It is so naturally a part of our being that others cannot help but see it. And there is an inward appropriation or realness to this. It is not a show or a display that we put on. It is written on the very fabric of our hearts. This verse might sound familiar to you because you see, the people of God have been encouraged to live this way from the very beginning. Parents have been encouraged to Raise their children after this fashion. Deuteronomy 6 describes how we are to bind the law of the Lord as a sign on our hand and as frontlets between our eyes and to write them on the doorposts of our houses and on our gates. It's to be something that's to be such a part of us that as people look upon us, they can tell the character and integrity that comes from following the Lord. Well, pay attention, the Father says. He gets our attention and then He says, in verse 5, a second exhortation. Look to the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Now, what does this mean? Trust in the Lord. What exactly is trust? Is trust something flippant? I think... For many in our society, the words trust and the Lord are encapsulated and compartmentalized by a motto on our money. In God we trust. We're not really sure what it means. Sounds good though. We ought to put it out there for everybody to see. But that's not what Proverbs is saying. To trust the Lord means to rely upon Him for help and for protection. To have a support to lean on. To know that it is steady and sound. Perhaps you've had an embarrassing experience like this. I know I have, and I've seen others. It's that time when you're perhaps standing and talking with someone or doing something, and you're standing next to a fence or a pole or or a piece of furniture, and you want to relax just a little bit and lean. There's only one problem, though. That 
pole, piece of furniture, or fence is not solid. And when you lean, it leans. As a matter of fact, it collapses on you. And you fall down. And you're hurt. And you're embarrassed. And you don't know what to do. That's a picture of what it's like to lean on things that are fallible. Lean on things that are not solid as the Lord. Jobs go away, don't they? Health can escape us. Our friends and confidants can move away. But the Lord is always constant. Any weight that we place upon Him as we lean upon Him is sure to be upheld. You see, that's what Proverbs is saying here. Trust in the Lord wholly and completely. How are we to do this? Well, I think in three ways. And in typical preacher fashion, I'll help you to remember them because they all begin with the same letter. We are to trust in the Lord entirely, exclusively, and extensively. We're to trust in the Lord entirely with all our heart, Proverbs says. This sounds easy, doesn't it? But you see, it is far easier to hedge our bets, isn't it? To trust the Lord and prepare a little bit on the side. Just in case. Just in case God doesn't come through. Just in case I've misunderstood. Let me just have a little bit of security here on the side. But you see, the Scripture tells us we're to trust entirely in, upon the Lord. For He has made everything. He is the only source of life. Lean upon Him entirely. And closely related to that is that we are to trust exclusively upon Him. Do not lean on your own understanding. I think sometimes, in my sanctified imagination, that Proverbs 3, verse 5, the second half, was written with Americans in mind. How proud we are of ourselves and of our ingenuity and of how we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and how we don't need anyone else. But you see, the Scripture teaches us that we can't lean to our own understanding. It's fallible. We think more highly of it than we ought. We're to trust exclusively in the Lord. And not only entirely and exclusively, but also extensively. What does that mean? Well, Proverbs tells us, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Now, I want you to know what Proverbs doesn't say. When times are really tough, trust Him. When you're really sick and you don't think there's a cure, then you can trust Him. When you're pretty sure there's no place else to turn, then is the time to trust Him. No. In all your ways. Now, we might wonder, why would Proverbs say this? Why would we have to trust in the Lord in all our ways in things as small as getting homework done, preparing a report at work, getting the house clean, 
because if we understand that we're building character, and that God is molding us into the image of Jesus Christ, then if we are faithful in a little, we will be faithful in much. He is building in us patterns and habits of trusting in Him. And so when the storm breaks, when the crisis hits, we are already prepared to rush first and foremost to Him because it's our habit. Habits can be good, can't they? Have you ever had the experience of driving to work except for it was Saturday? And you were driving, and before you realized it, you were already on the highway going to work because you're just so used to taking that route, and there you go. It's because the habit is ingrained in you. If our habit is to seek after the Lord, then in times of difficulty, we automatically go to Him. And when we lean on the Lord, we lean on a person who loves us, not on abstractions. He will be our guide. He will make straight our paths. By His Spirit and by His providence, the whole course of our lives will be one in which He guides us. Now, ease and perfection are not promised. But wholeness is. There is a straightness to our path. He will keep us within His will and following after Him. We lean on the Lord. Secondly, as we look to the Lord, we are to fear the Lord. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, Proverbs has already told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't it true that often the most important thing that you can know is what you don't know? When you realize, I really don't understand this. I'd better be careful. I'd better get help. You see, if we have a a self-confidence in ourselves, thinking that we know everything, that's when disaster looms. Every teen here understands this. All of you have gotten the lecture from mom and dad about driving. Right? You got this. Come on, I've been behind the wheel. I know what I'm doing. Right? But what you have to understand is you don't know everything. Because even if you know everything about driving, you haven't fully experienced all of the reckless behavior of everybody else out there. And you could be doing everything right. But you don't know everything. You haven't experienced everything. But this is also true of older adults as well, isn't it? Sometimes we think because we have experienced something, because we have had a providence, because it has turned out a certain way for us, it must turn out the same way for everyone. And everyone should do it exactly like we do. But you see, God says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Leaning upon Him. Trusting Him. Letting go of ourselves that we might follow Him. And this kind of trust and fear requires action on our part. It requires a positive turning to God and a negative turning away from evil. And when we do this, our lives will be blessed. 
Verse 8 tells us that it will bring healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. It brings relief and refreshment. There's a third exhortation that the Father gives to His Son. And this, I think, is perhaps the most practical and helpful. He tells us to pay attention. He tells us to look to the Lord. And then He looks us square in the eye and He says, Be real. Don't be fake. Don't pretend. Don't put on a show. If you're going to trust the Lord, if you're going to fear the Lord, if you're going to seek wisdom, be real in it and make it a part of your life. He says this in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, do you notice how the Bible does this so often? It wants us to practically trust and follow the Lord and it goes right where the rubber meets the road and it goes right with the thing that is most difficult for us. It shoots straight for your wallet. Why? Well, somebody's got to pay for the air conditioning in the church. Somebody's got to make sure the lawn's mowed. Somebody's got to make sure the missionaries are paid. No. What is the single most effective way that we ourselves build a hedge against providence and circumstance. It's money, isn't it? If you get sick, what do you need? You need money to pay the doctor. If things break, or a car breaks down, or gets in an accident, what do you need? You need money to do that. If you have opportunities that come across, what do you need? You need money. Money is a way in which... We use the blessings that God has given to us. We store them up as a hedge against sorrow and disaster. Now, God doesn't say to us that none of us should have money and we should walk around as paupers and trust that food will drop from the heavens. No. But what God says is, if you are really going to show that you trust me and do it in a real and practical way, you must do it in a way that affects you in a way that makes a difference. We might even say, in a way that at first hurts. Because you don't have something to lean back on. It's one thing to talk a good game. It's another thing to do something that's easy. But when something is hard, it requires thought, commitment, and trust. That's why in verse 9 we are told to give our first fruits. Why? Well, we don't live in an agricultural society, but, but think about it this way. When you get a paycheck, you are to give off the top on the front end, not to see how much money is left in the month. Why? It's because that's the point in time when you have to trust God. Even if you had more money at the end of the month, you know you've already made it. There's no act of trust that God will get you through. God says, look to me first. Trust me first. All of the promises I've given you in the Scriptures are true. We acknowledge that all of the blessings we have come from God. And we have a confidence that God will meet our needs. 
This is very practical, as in the worship of God, we, we give to the Lord through our offerings. One of the things that we are saying as we put the offering in the plate is, this is not the last dollar that God will give me. He will take care of me. It's a very practical way to trust Him. And then there is a principle of blessing that follows from that. We see this in verses in verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And again, we need to be careful. This is not a mechanism. This is not we give so that God will bless us. We see this all the time now in what passes for Christianity. You are told you must give because if you do, God will return ten times your investment. He's better than AT&T. He's better than Apple. You just give and He'll bless you ten times. Is that really trusting? Or is it trusting to say, I don't know what I'll get back, but I trust the giver. But you see, there's a principle of life here that it is not foolish to trust the Lord. The world thinks that. When you trust the Lord, whether with your wallet or with your time, you are foolish because you are going to be disappointed. And the Proverbs tells us this is not the case. The last thing that we see is in this command to be, to be real is that we are not only to honor the Lord, but we are to embrace the Lord. We see this in verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. We have to understand who we are, that we are sinners. If I were going to work on a modern translation of verse 11, I would say something like, Son, do not be miserable at the Lord's discipline or roll your eyes at His reproof. Because that's what's being said here. There's a disdain. There's almost a disgust. Oh, here comes the lecture again. Right? And see, some of you just thought that teens could do that. You can do that when you're 80. You can roll your eyes at the Lord. Why am I going through this again? Why is this happening to me? But you see, if we understand who we are, that we are sinners, and that we are in need of correction, then what the Lord does for us is the same thing that we tell our children we do for them. What's the cliche? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And do our children always believe that? No, they don't. And we as children of the Heavenly Father, I think, act that way. We think somehow that God is out to get us. That we've lost His love. That somehow we're being punished and abused when in reality the loving correction of our Heavenly Father is so that we might live lives of health and peace and follow after Him and be built up in character to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Wisdom is important. It is something that we need to seek. But it is not abstract. It is not an end in itself. Wisdom is found with the Lord. 
and our calling as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to seek after His wisdom, to have it written upon the tablets of our heart so that we might shine before others, so that we might show our trust in the Lord to others and so that ultimately our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be glorified in this world. Let's pray.